Good morning again, everybody. I say again because uh, our, our, I'm saying hello to our Midlothian crowd for the first time, but I've already been up once this morning and I've already said hello, so we're doing this all all over again. But good morning to everybody. Wonderful to see you as we continue our series in First John. Uh, today, that brings us to chapter 2, verse 12 through 17. First John 2, 12 through 17. If you want to Turn there in your Bible or get there in your Bible app, however you'll be reading that today. Go ahead and get there now. Today is our fifth message of 12. I'm always amazed at how quickly these messages start adding up. We're already on number five of 12 today. As you're turning there, I want to point out a verse from last week and kind of compare it to a verse we're going to read this week. They're, they're talking about two different ideas, but they're kind of communicating the same thing. Look at this up here. 1 John 2, 9. If we'll put that up there. Maybe we're not. There it is. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. A verse we're going to look at this week, talking about a little different thing. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We're talking about two different things. You know, the, the problem we have with others, not liking some people, loving the world. And yet they're both kind of saying the same thing, aren't they? They're, they're challenging you and me as a group of people who would say, I love God. They're saying, hey, you know, you can't say that you love God and also not like these other believers. You can't say that and love the world. Now, if I'm being honest, and I'd like to think almost all the time I'm up here, I'm being honest. Not all the time, but almost all the time. Uh, you know, it, I'm, am I the only one? Do you have like a little voice in you that says, why not? Why, 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 why can I? I mean, I'm not wanting to not like people, but... Don't you feel like there's some people you cannot like and still love God? I mean, hey, I've, I've been in church. I've been a believer for 40, almost 40 years. I've been in church all that time. And I think I could probably look at every church I've been a part of, every group of believers I've been a part of. And there's been, is it okay to say this? I just, I don't, I don't like them. I don't, I don't like them at all. I don't, I don't want to be around them. I, I don't, I don't want to go bowling with them. Nothing. I, I don't like that person, okay? Now, I'm going to say, I don't, it's not like I'm going to kill them. It, it's not like I'm talking bad about them, and I probably would resist even applying the word hate to what I feel. And what I would suggest from what I'm looking at in Scripture is God would apply the word hate. Whether you apply it or not, how you feel toward that other, God is saying you, you can't hate that other believer and also say you love me. And again, I, I feel like I can. I, I feel like I cannot like them and love you, God. I don't get why you're all up in my face about this. Right? Or this love for the world. Now, I assume we know what we're talking about there when we're talking about loving the world. We're not talking about blueberries or the mountains or warm summer evenings on the lake. We're not, we're not talking about fine dining or traveling to wonderful places that our nation or our world has. To, that's not what we're talking about when he says you can't love the world. He's talking about the ways of the world, right? You, you be you. We, we've pointed that out in this series. Or just show me the money. Or don't get mad, get 
even. Yeah, see, these are the ways of the world. I can't, I can't be building. Remember, the key word in this series is fellowship. Fellowship is not a gathering next Friday at 6. Fellowship is a bond. It's sharing life together, having common experiences together. I can't build a bond with those ideas and at the same time say, I, lo- I love you, Lord. Now, when I am doing that, not, not liking these people building this bond. I've thought about this a, a lot this week, by the way. I thought, why, why is it I'm saying why not? Why is it that I think I can? I can do these things and still love God. Why do I disagree with God? And, and I, I think I came down to this. When I say this, I can like the, I cannot like these certain people or I can, you know, dally just a little, just a, just a tiny, tiny bit over here in the way the world does things. When I do that, it's because I believe I have these things under control. And don't we always have things under control? Right up to the point that we don't. And we always reach that point. Even though we always believe I've got things under control. But you know what? I'm going to assume the best of you today. I'm going to assume you always have it under control. But do you realize, even under control, I'm still, even if it's small, I'm building a bond with hate, with a love for the world. I'm building a bond with something that is an antithesis to God. Hate is an antithesis to who and what God is. Love for the world is an antithesis to who or what God is. How can I be building bonds out there and say I'm loving God? Isn't there just a a little bit of a contradiction there? Isn't there a little part of that that just doesn't make sense? You know, this um, past fall, uh, the, the Aggies, my Texas Aggies, the team I love, the school I went to, was playing Alabama. And uh, I thought, well, you know what? It'd be fine. I'm going to have I'm going to have some people over. And I had George Stevens, longtime member of our church, and a, and a fellow Aggie. He went to Texas A&M. And uh, and then I I, inv- I invited Ronnie and Tina. And uh, you know, I knew that was I knew that was going to be a mistake. Uh, Ronnie, if you don't, don't know him, he's a he's a fellow pastor here on our on our staff, and um, he's a He's an obnoxious <laughs> Alabama fan. And you know, let me tell you what makes Ronnie obnoxious. Is it's that he thinks he's not. Right? He think oh I mean, he thinks he's really cool, really chill about this whole and he's just grossly obnoxious about it. And he doesn't he doesn't see this evil, I mean this fault in him. And so, you know, I, I invited Ronnie and Tina over. It's my idea. You know what I mean? Every now and then we're just stupid. And uh and, and here's what I thought the mistake was. Not, not having Ronnie and Tina over. It's that I was having this little soiree at my house because I knew, I knew as much as I love my team, I knew there's a really significant chance this game was going to be over before it was over. Or maybe another way to say that I'm going to be done watching this game before it's over. Now, if I was, say, at Ronnie's house and I reached that point with about eight minutes to go in the third quarter, I'd just get up and leave. I got to go homework on my sermon. But I'm at my house. Where am I going to go? He's not getting up and leaving. He's staying till the bitter end while I feed him. 
I mean, what sense does this make? So now, here, here, here's the question. I love the Aggies. Y'all know that. You hear me mention that. I'm not as obnoxious as, roll tide, roll tide. I'm not like Ronnie. I'm not like that at all, okay? I love my Aggies. So now, can I, can I love Ronnie, who loves the enemy of my team, who has a fellowship with the enemy of my team? Can I love Ronnie and love the Aggies? Now, believe me, in my heart, I want to say no. But, but I can. I can love Ronnie and, lo- and love the Aggies. Now, why can I do that? Because at the end of the day, everything I just talked about actually doesn't mean anything. That's not life. That's not the content of It's a lot of fun in life, but it's not life. It's not my soul, right? Now, let's just say for fun, Ronnie hates my wife and children. Okay, now, I'm not having them over. And that's not being funny, is it? Now, you, you, you can hate the Aggies, but you can't hate my wife and children. That, 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 that's not the same as my football team. That, that is my soul and my life. You see the difference? You see, that would be that the love I have for them would make it a glaring contradiction. Can you imagine my wife knowing she is hated and then sees me going out and hanging out with, with Ronnie? Wouldn't that be a, wouldn't you consider that a contradiction? So you, you can think whatever you want about my Aggies, my Broncos, my Astros. But if you hate my wife and children, that's a, that's a different thing. So here, I guess really the question comes down to this. Do I love God? Like my favorite team? Or do I love God like the content of my life? Like what holds my soul? See the difference? Okay, so with that in mind, let's jump into our passage. First John chapter 2, look at verse 12 through 17. First John 2, I'll begin in verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, your translation may say the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. Those feelings, those actions, everything related to that comes from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, this is probably the first passage we've come upon. The the, the prior ones would do this too. But this is the first one I've read where I think, man, I'm only only doing 12 messages on 1 John. Doesn't 12 messages actually sound like a lot? I mean, we're looking at one of the shorter books of the Bible. I mean, it doesn't take but probably 10 minutes to read the whole thing. I don't know. Probably could read it faster than 10 minutes. And yet 12 messages, one-fourth 
of 2021, we're studying one of the shortest books of the Bible. Does it take that much? Oh my gosh, I come to today. Folks, there's three sermons in what I just read. At least three, and I'm barely doing one of them. So there's so much here. That's John. Man, he packs such a punch in one sentence. So just glossing over 12 through 14, not really looking at all that is there, but I want you to understand what John is building and and where he's taking us into as we get to verse 15. So he starts off by, for the second time out of seven, calling you and me little children. Now, we learned last week that he's not being condescending, right? He's not making light of us or calling us a name when he says, all you little children. We are all little children in a sense that we all have one same father. We're looking to heaven in this moment. And before God the Father, we are all children. And we're little children because we're small. We've got a lot to learn and we've got a lot of growing to do. That is, by definition, a child. We are all little children before the Lord. So that's kind of a, we're looking vertically, but then John brings it down horizontally, and he just looks at us this way, okay? And now he breaks us into three groups. And this is where I think we can get a little confused, is he's saying something about the fathers, he doesn't address the mothers. He says something about the young men, Does what, what about the young women? These verses are not about a family, They're not about a physical family. It's not about being a father. It's Mother's Day, and he's talking about a passage for fathers. Nope, this isn't about fathers. Not in the sense that you and I might be thinking right now. What he's doing right there, each one of those terms is symbolic in a spiritual family. We're thinking horizontal. So the fathers are the leaders of the church, the elders of the church. We might even be more broad and just say the mature. The mature in the church. Mature is not a reference to age. You can be 34. You can be 22 and be very mature in the Lord. I wish it was chronological by age because the opposite is also true. You can be 62. You can be 73. You can have been a believer for 40, 50 years and be very immature in the Lord. You you cannot be counted among the mature. It's not based on logging days, right? So, so he says the fathers, these are the mature in the Lord, that they're, they're growing in their knowledge, they're gaining knowledge, they're living in obedience, and probably the, the word that really distinguishes them, they have a track record. Okay, they don't just believe and they're not just kind of obeying. Man, they've, they've got years back here where they've, they've walked in the Spirit, they've lived the will of God. Not perfect, right? None of us are perfect. None of us never stumble. That's, that's not the issue. But they do have a significant track record. And so like you take the young men, what do they represent? The bulk of us. Man, I'm learning about the Lord. I'm growing in the Lord. I'm experiencing a good level of obedience. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Maybe what's missing is I just don't have quite the track record yet. I've, I've been at this for three or four years. I, I, I don't have a, a, a long train of temptations I've overcome and, and issues I've dealt with and just continually following in the Lord's will. I'm, I'm, it looks, it appears that I'm going that way, but no track record. You know how significant a track record is? We're actually going to look at some things in a moment that bust up our track record. 
You know, there's, there's people right now in, in this room, online, there's people right now. Man, you, 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 you love God? You love the heights? You love being here? It's been one of the most exciting times in your life. You, you just couldn't be more thrilled about God and what God's doing in your life. And three years from now, you will not be in church. You will not be walking with God. There will be no, you will not use the word God, church, and excitement in the same sentence. So that's not very nice to say. No, it's, it's not. It's just 30 years of watching people in church. I, I don't know what it is. We can come in and just, man, we're all in. We're excited. This is the best thing ever. And a certain amount of time from now, we're not even. See, that's, that's what we, I, can be, I can be growing. I can be moving. But I'm not yet quite in that place where I'm, I, you know, I, I just, I'm knocked off. I'm knocked off the consistency of living for the Lord. So we've got, we've got fathers, we've got young men, we've got children. Children, again, it's not a slight here. This isn't, actually, it's not the word immature. It's not implying anything negative at all. It's just that you came to the Lord last week. You, you came to the Lord a year ago. You're new at all this. And, and boy, in your newness, you're getting started. You're getting rolling. And so, hey, before God, let's keep this in mind. It keeps us all humble wherever we are in comparison to each other. Before God, we're all little children. Okay? In here, yeah, if we're looking horizontally, certainly we're in different places in our walk with the Lord. You'll notice here, John has not saying anything negative about any one of these categories, is he? He's implying, he's assuming something positive about people in every one of these categories. I don't know, after the last couple of messages, John says something positive. Don't you kind of brace a little bit? He's probably getting ready to whack me across the head. <laughs> but no, there's nothing, nothing like that. And, and he starts all this off by saying, we've all been forgiven of our sins. Let, let's just keep that one common denominator. Wherever we are in our walk and relationship with the Lord, man, we've all been forgiven of our sins. We all need to be forgiven of sins. You, you know, in, we're only 22 verses into this letter. That's the fourth time. First John 2.12, that's the fourth time he's made reference to the forgiveness that you and I have. And when you, when you think of being forgiven of your sins, what comes to your mind? I'm, I'm actually like going to stop here for a second and let you think about it. You know, if you're like me, if it's kind of a broad general, what comes to your mind when you think about forgiveness, I think my mind goes first to like in life. And some of those big sins. Big sins is not necessarily a biblical idea, but it is the reality of how we think. You know, we think of some of these bigger sins we feel like God has forgiven us or, or maybe a season of our life. And we should think of those things. But maybe we do this. Maybe say, hey, hey, when you think of God forgiving you, what's he forgave you of the last seven days? What, what have you been forgiven of since you were just in here last Sunday? Got a couple? You know, I think when we think on God's forgiveness, it's okay to say in general, God, thank you for forgiveness. But I, I, I think it's more powerful if we think specifically. If we think specifically and clearly, man, I've been forgiven of this and this and this in life. Gosh, just this past week, I've forgiven of this and this and this. 
And right now would be a good time to tune the pastor out, just for like three or four seconds. Don't have to bow your head and close your eyes, but maybe we turn our heart toward heaven and just thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of these things. And so you see what John's done now. He's kind of understood as, as he's talking, as he's talking to a, a, a gathering of believers. Hey, listen, before God, we're all little children in here. Yes, we're all in a little bit different place in our walk and our journey with the Lord, but we're all forgiven. And right now, man, we're just all kind of feeling really amazed at who God is and, and what he's done for us. And we're, we're in love and we're grateful. And then now in that thought, he says, and you cannot. Love the world. It's not a suggestion. Hey, if you're really, really growing in the Lord, let's try this lesson on. No, no, no. Listen, I've already identified that I understand we're all in different places. And to all of us, I say, you cannot love the world. He's not asking us to evaluate, hey, am I juggling this pretty good? Am I balancing my love for God in the world so that I do love God the most? He's not, he's not asking us if we're balancing it. He's asking us to understand when I've got any level of love in the world, I am building a bond, I am building a fellowship with that which hates the God and Savior who just, I was just thinking about all the sins he's forgiven me of. When I'm, when I'm building with these ideas, I'm actually building with Satan. And Satan, 100% of the time, has one goal, and that is to move through you and my emotions and ideas and lead us into a place where we act in total contradiction to God. Not, don't, don't, guys, don't just see this about breaking a rule. Satan's not trying to get you to break a rule. He's trying to build in you a character that is the exact opposite of God's character. He wants you to be moving and building in the exact opposite way that God is moving and building. You know, we, we can talk about the ways of our world with cute, trite little statements like, show me the money or don't get mad, don't get, get even. But, but think about how opposite things are. Our world praises self. We praise God. Our world celebrates sin, protects sin, applauds and pushes sin. I'd like to think I grieve over it. I'd like to think I'm broken over it. I'm trying to repent of it. I'm trying not to do that. The, The world mocks this book and mocks you for reading this. It's myths. It's fairy tales. Bunch of dudes wandering around in a desert, and I'm supposed to live by what they said 2,000, 3,000 years ago? And it's just foolishness. Oh, I believe this is the very word of God. Every individual word and the thing as a whole. This comes from God's mouth, this comes from His heart. Yes, he communicated it through, through 40 people over 1,500 years on three different continents in three different languages. And yet it comes out as one book coming from his heart and mind. And I'm not just reading it. I'm actually trying, man, do I fail, but I'm really trying to conform every word, every thought, every character quality of mine, everything about me, I'm trying to conform to this word. You see, you see the exact different directions the world is going in? 
and that you and I in love with God are supposed to be going in? Now, I'm I'm guessing you don't want to do that. I don't. I I don't want to do... Too often I end up doing just that. Too often I'm over here, uh, you you know, building a life, building a fellowship with that which hates my God. And I don't want to do... Why do I end up? Why do I keep doing that? John, wanting to warn us and help us, says, hey, can I... Can I show you the bait? (laughs) Can I show you what you're going for every time that takes you right back over to building those ideas, to building that life that is so contradictory to the one who forgave you of all your sins? And he gives us three things here. Now, all three of these things are found all the way through the Bible. Illustrations of these sins, how to deal with these sins, the commands that God... They're all over the Scripture It's a little bit unique, though, to John and this letter, the way he pulls these three things together as one operating way that Satan's coming after us. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. The operative word there is is lust. The operative word is a craving. Understand, as we walk through each of these, it's about what's happening inside me. Not necessarily what's going on out there. So the lust of the the flesh is a... All of these things, I'm going to kind of focus on one idea. There's more than one idea under each of these. Does that make sense? But like with the lust of the flesh, probably one key word, pleasure. Pleasure. And you know, we hear lust, we immediately think of something sexual, right? But remember, the word lust just simply means a craving, usually an out-of-control craving. And we have cravings for all kinds of things. So lust of the flesh can be a craving for, for sex, for alcohol, for food, for entertainment. Folks, I think America could quite possibly entertain itself to death. We could quite possibly entertain ourselves out of existence I don't care what's going on all around me as long as I'm entertained. We, we have an out-of-control approach to, being, to pleasure, to being entertained. Now, understand, those things I just called out are not necessarily the problem. And you can be a follower of Christ, walking in a, a godly, holy life. In all of those things, the problem is not them, it's what's happening inside of me. In craving, I lose balance. In craving, I move outside of boundaries. And now I don't recognize good things that God has given to enjoy, but rather I begin to worship these things as God. And now when I say worship them as God, I'm not suggesting that you're going to gather in a building somewhere, sing songs, and pray to any one of these things. What I am saying is instead of grabbing hold of God and looking to God to process life, you'll grab hold of these things for strength, for comfort, to cope. You'll go to these things, and we do. Everything I just called out, I want to say most of us, I think maybe all of us, have used one or more of those things or those kinds of things to cope with life, to handle life, to process life. And so that pulls me back into a place over here in the darkness. Next week, 
Next week, we're going to see what happens when our eyes adjust to the darkness. Next week, we're going to see what happens as we grow comfortable in the darkness. Remember, this is a message to believers. You, me, as a believer, as somebody who loves God, our eyes will adjust to the dark, right? And we will grow comfortable in the dark, and then we are set up for next week. But how does Satan keep pulling us back into the way of the world? How does he, he keep pulling us back to where our eyes will get adjusted to the dark? Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes is another one that works well. If I was to use one word for that, it's, it's envy. Now, <laughs> envy's not a new sin. Envy's not something unique to a person or a culture or a period of time. There's always been envy. But folks, do y'all realize like, like envy is the, the engine that runs America. <laughs> what is in every commercial? You could be better. You could have more. You're not really happy. You don't really have enough. You need this. You and I, trying to get five minutes a day in God's Word, are probably hammered by the messages of envy. I don't. How many advertisements do we see in a day? 50, 60, 100? I'm sure we could Google it right now and come up with an exact number. The average American is going to interact with this many messages all driven by envy. Now, again, understand this. Folks, it's not a sin to want something else, to want something more, to want something better. That's not a sin. It's when it becomes craving. As a matter of fact, envy so drives our lives. And I'm talking about America right now. I think maybe this is just an opinion. Doesn't contentment almost sound like something's wrong? I mean, I'm content almost sounds like I'm content. I've quit. I've given up. I'm not even trying anymore because I'm content. I mean, content, uh, contentment just sounds like you just don't, you're just not even trying anymore. Folks, contentment is a character quality to strive after. It doesn't mean you don't want better or more. It doesn't mean you don't want excellence. Cont- here's the difference between contentment and envy. In contentment, my focus is on what I have. In envy, my focus is on what I, what I don't have. Do you realize the powerful difference that will shape your life? When I'm focused on what I do have, I am more likely, I'd like to say it will absolutely happen, but even now it won't happen. <laughs> but I am much, much more likely to thank God because I recognize that, that what I do have, it comes from his hand. And so I am more likely to give him gratitude, to give him thanks, to give him praise for that. And as I'm looking to heaven and thanking him, and I realize I have this day, I have this life, I have this stuff, and it's all from God, I am much more likely to say, hey, God, could I manage it like you would manage it? Because one of the biggest biblical themes is that you and I are stewards, We usually think of that word in relation to money, stewardship. But stewardship is about all of life. I'm not an owner. I'm a manager. I don't possess. I don't own anything. I manage what God has given me. And we will not grab a hold of that understanding without being focused on what we do have. Hey, God, I recognize you as the giver of these good things, and I want to manage this day, this life, this situation, this stuff well. Right? 
But if I'm over here focused on what I don't have, boy, you can see how much more likely I am to not give thanks. How how do you give thanks when you're focused on what you don't have? And because I'm not looking to heaven and giving thanks, because I'm not acknowledging God in this, then I am way more unlikely to say, God, could I manage Could I be a good steward? No, all I'm focused on is what I don't have. By the way, over here, you're to be a manager of what you don't have. You're to be a a good steward of frustrations and fears and failures and lost dreams and, and lost things. We manage everything before God. Over here, I actually think it's all about me and what I have and what I own. As a matter of fact, all of this is about me. The lust of the flesh is about me. The the lust of the eyes is about me. And Boy, then it culminates in the boastful pride of life. The boastful pride of life just simply says life is about me. By the way, your life is about me. I mean, really, the most important thing in life is that you see me, that you see how big and wonderful I am. And and, and so I'm going to use, and again, a lot of different ideas, but here's one, just our words. I'm going to use my words so that you see me. And I might lie. I might just absolutely tell you a lie about myself because it helps you think bigger of me. Of course, I don't lie. Some of you might, but I don't. I just exaggerate. Because exaggerating's not lying. You know, when I exaggerate, I start with the truth. I just want it to be a really cool story. I just want to just want to just dress it up a little bit so that when the story's over, what do you have with exaggeration? You have something that actually does not correspond to the truth. I think that's a whole lot like a lie. And I lie and I exaggerate and then I use words to tear down. At 5'8", I'm never going to be the tallest building in town. Ah, but if I tear down the taller buildings around me, If I tear down the threatening lives around me, the taller lives around me, if I just tear those down one at a time, pretty soon I'm the tallest thing around. Here's the sad thing, though, when I'm making life about me. When I go to bed, if all I have is me, I've got nothing. When you go to bed at night and all you're thinking about is how how great that Randy Hahn is, and I would suggest you think that... um, if all you've got, if, if the thought on your pillow is how great Randy Hahn is, guess what you have? Nothing. Satan will lure us into these ideas and these ways of the world where we will dump all of our energy, all of my thoughts, all of my energy, all of my passions, my cravings are all being dumped. At the end of the day, I've got nothing, even when I win. Even when I get the, have you, the, are the cravings ever fulfilled? No. But if I could not go running after these things and I could stay focused on God and at the end of the day, after having been with me, you go to bed not thinking about Randy Hahn, but you go to bed thinking about God. Wouldn't it be incredible if my life left you thinking about God? And my life will never leave you thinking about God if my cravings are all for me. But if I leave you thinking about God, just possibly, just maybe, at the end of the day, you now have something that lasts forever. Life and life eternal. What a powerful and awesome way to live. 
kind of getting a little bit of a feel of why John says you can't be doing both of these things. It's not about shame on you. That's bad. Don't do that. Oh my gosh, how small you must think God is to think he's just up there running around chasing after you keeping rules. If he lets us, we'll throw our lives into our cravings and we will have nothing on this earth. But if we will let him, we'll have life and life eternal and we can actually share that with the people we have all around us that we love. I love what Chuck Swindoll had to say in kind of summarizing this passage. Some of you may know that name, a great preacher of the last five, maybe six decades uh, on planet earth talking about this. Uh, he, he's got a commentary on First John, said the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. This cocktail of cravings is not a nourishing spiritual drink served up by the father of light, but a toxic poison pushed and promoted by the father of lies through the means of a wicked world. John's point is clear. The object of a Christian's unconditional devotion and commitment should be to God and his people, not the sinful world and all of its delights. To embrace the wicked world system with the same kind of boundless love we should have for God is to demonstrate that the love of the Father is not in us. If you're like me, I I, want to resist this stark choice between either I love God or I don't. I love God or I love the world. Is there an option number three in there? Can't there be kind of something in the middle? And most of us are pursuing the middle. Most of us are pursuing the middle. But that's a, that's a contradiction. Look back over the last seven days. You built something. You built a bond. You built a fellowship. Was it with God or was it with the world? Now, a lot of what a lot of us want to do right now is I want to think about what I wanted to do the last seven. Well, I do love God. I, I want to love God, and I'll, 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 I'll grab a hold of a couple of things I think suggest that. <laughs> well, maybe I ignore what I actually did. You know, last week talking about love, I, I, I used, you know, a, a relationship, action, as a way to think through that. You know, if you say, Randy, love your wife. Love your wife better this week, Randy. Okay, I'm going to think about maybe where I could take her on a date, to dinner, or somewhere she'd like to go, or I'm going to stop doing something that I know gets up under her skin a little bit, or I'm going to start doing something I know she really likes. What I'm going to do is I'm going to act. Love has actions. If I'm working on love and I'm building love, I am acting. So when I ask us to consider what did you build the last seven day, don't look at your feelings. Don't look at what you would have liked the last seven days to be. Look at your actions. Your actions were building a bond with the world or a bond with God. I know we all want a third option, but we don't be seen to offer a third option. Ah, well, what would I be looking at? What, what are the actions I, I, I would be looking at to say I'm building a bond with God? Oh, I, did you go on a date with God this week? Maybe a date every week. Spend some time in God's word and God's prayer. Process, instead of processing life with food or entertainment, process life with God. Hear his heart and hear his words. Pour out your heart and, and your words. 
confess. Man, we thought just a moment ago, we thought about our sins maybe that have been forgiven over the last seven days. And we learned in 1 John chapter 1, one sin, two sins, several sins this week. Those are all little steps back toward the darkness. What did 1 John 1 teach us how we get out of the darkness? The action is confession. Confession is an activity. Move me from darkness back to light. 1 John 1, we saw that. And if, I, if I'm wanting to build bond with God, a fellowship with God, I'm going to enjoy what he enjoys. I'm going to enjoy his people. You say, I don't like church people. I know, I don't either. No, no, I'm just kidding, right? Hey, you know what? I, I, can, I can understand how some folks could come in here and go, I, I don't know if I want anything to do with church people. Hey, maybe we're an acquired taste. Maybe we're an acquired taste. You know what an acquired taste means? That means you kept working at it. You keep working at that taste until it tastes good. And God's worthy of it. God's worthy of my efforts to this become a gathering of people that I love. And, and, I, and I enjoy his work. What's God's work? I think Jesus said it really well, don't you? I didn't come into this world to be served. Boy, think of that. I didn't come into this world for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. All of those things are about me serving me, about the world serving me. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to be served, but to, to serve. If I'm going to enjoy what God enjoys, I'm going to, I don't like serve. I really actually think all oh, you should be serving me. Well, okay, I'm going to work at it. Why am I going to work at it? Because God's worthy of it. I want to build a bond with someone with something that lasts forever. Why would you want to bond with that which all ends? It all stops. It never actually will work. So instead of looking back, that just makes us feel bad. <laughs> Let's look forward. The next seven days, what are you going to build? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray you'd send your Holy Spirit right now into each of our hearts and minds to rightly evaluate what we're building in our life. There's our desires. There's, there's what we want to be, what we want to do for you. Oh, Lord, I, I, I believe on some level everybody engaged here. I mean, we're here because we want to love you. We want to say we love you. We want a life that says it loves you. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind to understand what we're doing in this world, what we're building in this world. Holy Spirit, lead us to the right and good steps to build a fellowship with the God and Savior who loves me so much, whose love never quits, whose love forgives every wrong. Oh, I do want to love you, God. Thank you today for showing me why I end up not and what I need to do so that I, I can. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.